This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, September 17th, 2023. What was I thinking? Solomon. Well, good morning, Connection Church. Isn't this just a glorious day to be, well, just to be alive? Thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Here in the sanctuary, there at home, it's good to see each and every one of you. Glad you're here with us this morning. So last week we began this series, What Was I Thinking? And we um, took a look at Aaron, Moses' uh, older brother. Today we're going to be spending a little bit of time with a guy named Solomon. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just a delight to be with you here this morning. Just want to say hi, 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 like go to each one of you. Those of you online, glad you could join us. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. It is a gorgeous day, and help us realize and treat every day as a gift, because it is. Settle us in right here, Lord. Help us. Glean out of this scripture that we're sharing in 1 Kings, something that we can apply to our lives. Remove any distractions. Boy, the evil one is so good at putting distractions in, in our space so that we can have some laser focus on you right now. I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's jump right in. Solomon, he was the oldest living son born to King David and Bathsheba. In his later years, David had Solomon anointed king. Scripture tells us that all the people, when that, when that happened, all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem. They played flutes, they shouted for joy. The celebration was so loud that the earth shook with the sound. And so David, that's King David, that's the one who wrote a lot of the Psalms, who slew Goliath with just a sling and a stone when he was a boy, and he was, you know, anointed king. When David was close to death, he said this to his son, 1 Kings chapter 2, I am going where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He, God, told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Hmm. One night, the Lord came to Solomon in a dream saying, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow, can you imagine that? What if that was you? What would you ask for? <laughs> well, Solomon responded, by saying that God had made him, placed him as king instead of his father, David. But, but he was young. I, I think uh, some things I read, possibly as young as 15 when this happened. 
Uh, uh, he was young and didn't know his way around. Solomon then asked God for an understanding heart so that he could, could govern the people well and know the difference between right and wrong. First Kings chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, New Living Translation. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such that no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Mm. So God gave Solomon wisdom. So much wisdom that Solomon is referred to as the wisest man who ever lived. Maybe you've heard that. You know, we talk about with the wisdom of Solomon. He's credited with writing the book of Proverbs, or most of it, a book chock full of wise advice. An example of his wisdom, <coughs> excuse me, is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. It's quite a story. Two prostitutes come to the King Solomon asking him for a settlement in an argument. See, these two women lived together in the same house, and they both recently had a ba each had a baby. And during the night, apparently, one of the women had rolled over and, and killed one of the children. And then she apparently had taken her child, the dead child, and switched it with the live child so that she ends up with the live baby, and the other woman wakes up with the dead child. Anyway... Both women claimed the living baby was hers. And so we read in 1 Kings 3, 23 through 25, then the king, King Solomon, said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. And then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to another, to the other. Well, it is a solution, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Well, the mother of the living child, she cried out. She told Solomon not to kill the child, but to go ahead and give the child to the other woman. Well, the other woman said, go ahead and cut him in half. Well, the king ordered for the child to not be divided, but instead he said, give it to the woman who wanted him to live because he, he knew, he realized that was the mother. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Mm. So the Lord gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding. Scripture tells us that his wisdom exceeded all the wise men of the East, all the wise men in Egypt. His fame spread throughout the surrounding nations. He wrote 3,000 
Proverbs, 3,000 Proverbs, and 105 songs. He could speak with authority on many subjects, and kings from every nation sent ambassadors to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Well, unfortunately, it's tough to balance wisdom and prosperity and power with ego and focus on self. But that's what Solomon did. He focused more on Solomon than on God. Serving himself became more important than serving God. Let's take a look at this. His house, for example. The house he built for God, the temple, and the house he built for himself. Let's talk about the temple first. First, he built the temple with high-quality materials, such as cedar and cypress from Lebanon. It was brought in on rafts and floated to the place where the temple was built. All these details are given in Scripture. He had large blocks of high-quality stone quarried and then shaped into the foundation of the temple. He overlaid the temple um, interior with solid gold. There were... 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 quarry workers, and 3,600 foremen to supervise all of this work. The temple was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet tall with additional rooms on the outside. Now, from our calculations, that's just shy of 9,000 square feet, pretty big. Solomon followed all the decrees, all the regulations, and all the commands concerning building this temple, and it took seven years to build the temple. Seven years. That's a long time, isn't it? Seven years. But, but check this out. It took him 13 years to build his own place, his palace. Palace for God, seven years. Solomon's palace, 13 years. 90 feet long for a temple of God, 150 feet long for his palace, 45, or 30 feet wide for God's temple, 75 feet wide for his, you get in the picture here? Both of them were the same height. There must have been about something about 45 feet tall. I don't know about that, but anyway. And then he had an additional porch, a throne room, additional living quarters. Uh, some of those, we don't even know what the square footage was, so we don't even have them on here, but just from the square footage totaled more than 15,000, the other was nine, right? 15,000 square feet. And as in the temple, he used only the best of materials. And so we have a graphic here that we want to put up and just look at. So you see the temple on the top, and then a design of Solomon's house, and that also included the house of the forest of Lebanon. Of course, there was the hall of the throne. Uh -huh. And, and the then you have, <laughs> yeah. And in 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 6 and 7, you'll see the differences and similarities between Solomon's great building projects. <laughs> wow. No iron tools used at temple building site on the temple stone cut and trimmed to size. I mean, he was just so precise with both, but he really 
seem to care a whole lot more about where he was going to live than the temple that God asked him to build. Think about that. I mean, the palace took twice as long to build. His palace was one and a half times size bigger than the temple. What was he thinking? What was Solomon thinking? And the thing was that the temple was built to God's specifications. I mean, God clearly shared with him just the size, and of course the palace was built to Solomon's specifications. Perhaps he needed all that space, and we'll see why in a few minutes, but for right now, check this out. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Remember back, we were talking about um, uh, Abraham a while back, and Abraham was promised his descendants would be as numerous as sand on the seashore. There you go. They were very contented, that's good, with plenty to eat and drink, that's great. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from Euphrates, from the Euphrates River in the north to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered peoples of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. Now pay attention carefully to what follows. <laughs> the daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour, 300 bushels of meal, 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. That's every day. Can you imagine? Every day. Solomon's dominion extended over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza. There was, a, there was peace on all his borders. That's really important. There was peace on all his borders. During the lifetime of Solomon, all Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, I love this line, each family had its own home and garden. <laughs> Just a little side note. <laughs> so in Solomon's lifetime, we see that there was peace and safety, which is different than his predecessors, because under King Saul and either, even under King David, there was a lot of war, there was a lot of turmoil, there was a lot of chaos. A lot of David's psalms are saying, like, I'm scared to death, Lord. You know, protect me. They're all after me. And we don't know why, what was inside of Solomon. We kind of are making some assumptions why his house was so much bigger. But God still blessed him with wisdom and prosperity. When Solomon completed the temple and the royal palace, the Lord appeared to him a second time. And God told Solomon that he had set the temple apart to be holy, that he would always watch over it, for it was dear to God's heart. He also said that if Solomon would follow God with with integrity and godliness, as his father David had, that God would establish the throne of his dynasty over Israel forever. Wow. But, you know, when you say but, there, 
It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Pay attention to what's coming next after the but. But if Solomon or his descendants abandoned God and disobeyed his commands and decrees, and if he served other gods, let me say that again, and if he served other gods, God would uproot Israel from this land that he had given them. We've got a little bit of foreshadowing right here for what's to come. Well, in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, we're told that Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides the daughter of Pharaoh, Solomon married women from different countries, from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. 1 Kings 11. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them, foreign women, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Key word here is yet, Y-E-T. It's kind of like that other three-letter word, but. You know, yet. It's like stop and pay attention. Listen to what, because this is different than what we just said. What's following is going to be contrary to what came before. The Lord gave instructions to Israel, do not marry those foreign women. See, one, one two, three, four, five, six, six simple words. There's no question here, is there? Do not marry those foreign women. Why? Because they will turn your heads to their gods. These women are very powerful, aren't they? They'll turn your heads. Guys, we understand, right? We get it. And, Yet. And that's why the foreign women, it wasn't that they were from another country. There's not anything wrong with that. But what was wrong <coughs> is because they would turn his head away. <laughs> Contagious. So in the Bible, Jesus says that it's important to be equally yoked in marriage. And that means be equally yoked in faith. Because when we're not equally yoked in faith, it is easy to sway one way or the other. And so this continues on in the New Testament, in the words of Jesus. So Solomon was wise, but those, those women that were foreign were powerful, weren't they? Turn his head. Yet, that, that's that key word, what follows coming. Yet, Solomon insisted on loving them anyway, contrary to what God said. God didn't, there was no if, and, or, but he made it very clear, very clear, six simple words, and, and Solomon did not follow. As we said before, it's tough to balance wisdom, prosperity, and power and balance that against ego and focus on self. We have to say, what was Solomon thinking? Who needs 700 wives and 300 concubines Gentlemen, anybody? 
I mean, we thought David, what was he, would he have three or four? I mean, he had less than five wives, and we thought, well, jolly day, David. This guy had a thousand women he was dealing with. One's enough. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> now, some of those marriages were for political reasons, like a Pharaoh's daughter. I'm sure that was a political, you know, thing. Um, uh, establishing relations with these other countries. But that was a very, very small percentage, I'm sure. I think Solomon was on an ego trip. I think he was on a power trip, you know? And, and having that many wives and concubines, concubines, by the way, are like, they're like mistresses, but it's not like a hidden away, I mean, they're all mixed in right in there with the wives. It's all big, one happy family, ha, 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 thousand. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, it supported his ego, showing the world the power he had as a ruler. That's my spin, anyway. I suppose that's why he needs such a big palace, you think? And why he had so much daily, can you imagine feeding a thousand women every day? Day, along with the other uh, people in the government there. And all the children. <sighs> oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm sure they were housed in a... I'm sure he had a quiet little place where he kept kids and... Oh, my gosh. What was he thinking? Well, he was obviously thinking of himself, wasn't he? He wasn't listening to God. His thoughts were not God-centered. It was a Solomon-centered world, pure and simple. And he knew what the Lord had said. <laughs> he knew it. The Lord said, do not marry foreign women, for they will turn your heart to their God. He knew it. But he ignored God. He didn't pay attention. He followed his own set of rules. Ego, lust, I don't know. Something ruled the day, but it wasn't God. And perhaps he thought he knew better. I mean, he was the wisest man on the planet. That being said, he was not wiser than God. No one's wiser than God. God is the wisest. God knew better. God knew what would happen when he tangled up with the foreign women. God knew it all. 1 Kings 11, 4 to 8. That's the New Living Translation. In Solomon's old age, they, his wives and concubines, turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable, notice how many times in this passage we see the word detestable, the detestable God of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father, David, had done. On the Mount of Olives, that's a familiar place because that's where Jesus' last hours were spent, weren't they, on the Mount of Olives. East of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moloch, 
the detestable God of the Ammonites. You see how God sees these as detestable, right? <laughs> Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Wow. So he not only loved them, but he built altars. So he, bought, he built shrines so that these women could worship their gods. He did the exact opposite of what the Lord had instructed, and the Lord got mad. The Lord was angry with Solomon. Well, no wonder. He, it's almost like he was snubbing his nose at the Lord. The Lord had appeared to him twice, and he still did it. He ignored the command. So there was some consequence. God said that he would tear the kingdom from Solomon, but not while Solomon was alive for the sake of his father, David. Oh, no, he planned to take it from Solomon's son. So when I think about this, it's like, okay, do something to me, but don't do anything to my kids. So it's the way the Lord was saying, okay, I'm, I'm doing it to your next generation. Boy, that really hurts. <laughs> but God wasn't going to tear the entire kingdom because it was prophesied that, you know, the house of David would, you know, the Lord would come. And so all that had to work together. But Solomon's son would have the tribe of Judah. We've heard about that. For the sake of his servant David. For the sake of God's chosen city, Jerusalem. Remember that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. What was Solomon thinking? <laughs> like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he had it all, didn't he? And he had it all. And he turned, and just like them, he turned his back on God, on what God told him on what not to do, what was he thinking? Well, just like Aaron last week, he wasn't, was he? He wasn't thinking he let his ego and lust control him when completely contrary to what the Lord told him. He was the wisest man in the world, but he certainly wasn't smarter than God, was he? Nobody is. And Solomon paid the price for choosing poorly. It is easy to look at Solomon and say, what was he thinking? But there are days when we look a whole lot like Solomon. We, many of us know better. Many of us are familiar with the word of God. And we go our own way. We do our own thing. We might do this kind of thing or... Ah, oh, that really wasn't a whisper from God. Nap, nap, nap. We do the same thing. There are days when we let our appetites, whatever that looks like, our appetites control us where even our egos take over. There are days when we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do this my own way. Can you just let me alone? Uh, I'm, I'm doing this my way. So what we learn from Solomon is that this never really works out. This does not work out well when we go against what God's plan is for us or God's directive 
is for us, no matter how wise we think we are, our way is never better than God's way. You know, another thing we learn from Solomon's story is that our hearts can be turned away from God, as was his. You know, anything in life that we worship, when I say worship, I don't mean like we worship on Sunday morning down your knee, but worship is when we give our time, attention, and love to whatever that is. And if, it's, you know, and, and, and if it comes before God, that's what we worship. And, and it, it, it becomes idolatry when it's not God. In Solomon's day, they, they literally worshipped what they thought were gods, the little g-gods that we talked about last week. And for us, these can be not the god of Moloch or the god of, that we just listed, but it could be the god of a job or the god of that house I always dreamed of or that car. You know, some of us worship cars or or that position in the company, or uh, our spouse even, or our kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or even um, our beliefs, what we put as number one. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to correct us, along the path that leads to God always. You know, there's a fine line between loving someone or something deeply and putting that something or someone ahead of God. It's easy to do. It's what Solomon did. It's easy for us to do as well. I just want to say nice cars and nice houses aren't the problem. It's when we might work seven days a week and we don't have time for devotion to God. We don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to pray. All these good things are good. God gives us good things and wonderful relationships. But when they take over and we don't have room for God, that's the problem. God may just tear down those idols in our lives. I don't like to think about that, about how God's going to do something in order to get our attention, but it does happen. And he just may allow a job loss or a financial struggle or something to happen in order to get our attention. Boy, that feels uncomfortable when we think about that. I have an example in my own life where a lot of you know this, but some of you don't, where God removed an idol in my life, and that was my career as a nurse. I loved it. I, I never saw the pastor thing coming, where when I did, I did this for like almost a decade. No, this is what you want from me. But then I figured out how to get do it both. And in the last 10 years, I, I got my fix as a nurse. It's like, okay, thank you, God. I can do this. I can work you know, full-time at the church, do my thing. This won't get in the way. And so I worked six hours every Tuesday, 
I did home health care in a hospice organization. I loved it. I thrived. It made me happy. It made me happy. I'm going to say that again. But I realized it didn't make God happy. Because what happened, what eventually happened, was I'm out working and I'm getting ready to go into somebody's house and talk to them about really important things. But then I have to look at my phone and it's like, oh, i got to handle something at church. And so I'm doing this kind of thing. And then I'm starting to feel stretched because I couldn't get... Something suffers when you stretch that far. But I loved it. So one day I went in for my yearly evaluation. That always went really well. I mean, I was 27 years with this company. And my evaluation went well. And then came the, but Carrie, I'm like, mm, what's coming now? I was grandfathered in. I, I, had, I had a great job. But Carrie, we need, you know, there's changes in the company. Anybody heard that before? There's changes. We need more of you. It's like, nah, I can't give you more. Six hours is it. No, we need more of you, including working some weekends. It's like, what? I've never had to work weekends. Oh, even the holiday. No, I, don't, I can't do that. I, I pastor a church. So I had a terrible decision to make, which I had to resign from that job. And I still get mad about it. I still get upset about it. I still miss it. But God did it. God did it because I had to dial back. Once I didn't have that, I could breathe a little bit better. I could get, I was totally focused 100% here. I wasn't playing the game. It was a game. And I don't, I still kind of do this with God uh, occasionally, but that's, he did it. Because I believe that working in employment as a nurse was an idol for me. It was so important. And so we all have them, but God wants our total obedience. God wants our total hearts. And what is it for you? I know I'm not alone in kind of forming up these idols in our lives. So what about you? I encourage you to take a low inventory, a little self-assessment. Are there things in your life that are coming before your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are there things that are keeping you from growing in the faith, keeping you from a small group, keeping you from Bible study, keeping you from prayer, keeping you from you fill in the blank, keeping you from connecting with other Christians that may hold you accountable, speak into your life? Do you think you know what's best? Do you think you know what's better for you than God knows? Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> so if what we're saying is all new to you, first of all, we're glad you're here. And we encourage you to explore your faith a little bit more. Explore what the Bible says, what, what God wants for us. It's all good. And you saw that video on Alpha. That's, that's a great way. So just, just dive in, do it. You don't even have to say a word. You can just sit there and listen in your home with your coffee or soda and your pajama bottoms.
But that's a great way, and please register so that we can get it all together and you won't miss the very first talk called Is There More to Life Than This? We hope that if you haven't done it, you'll sign up. Hey, you know, we've got people here from all walks of life, from all uh, steps uh, in the faith walk, from people who might use Alpha because it's a, kind of an intro to Christianity, a 101, to those who've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, or grizzled old veterans in the faith. And, you know, even if you've been walking for a really long time, those idols can creep in. And they usually creep in and you don't even recognize them because they kind of look real good. You know what I mean? Idols, they usually don't creep in ugly because you would, evil. They're those good-looking idols, and you say, wow. It's important to keep in touch with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, to direct you, to inform you, uh, to tell you what, where you're kind of going off the path in life, where you might be seeking other than God. I encourage you to pray. And when you pray, remember this. You've got two ears, one mouth. We usually think of prayer as what we say, two to one. Prayer is twice as my, listening is twice as important as the speaking. What was I thinking? Well, we're thinking that we can take a lesson from Solomon and put Jesus first in our lives. To do this inventory, to consult the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit step on our toes and make a change. When we do, we're going to see a victory, and the victory's in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's believe it, and let's live it. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this. Oh illustration of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived in 1 Kings. We can learn so much from your word and specifically from Solomon. He reigned and ruled well, but his personal life was a mess. Lord, help us hear you. Help us be in step with you. Help us respond to you. Forgive me, Lord, for those times when I put my hands over my ears and say, mm, nope, not going to do that one. I'm so guilty throughout my life. But you came for such a time as this. You came to give us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. You came to love us and carry us and give us strength and courage to Walk it out in righteousness, in right living. And Lord, you get glorified in all of it. To you be the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Connection Community Church. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, you can visit us on our website, at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Thanks again for listening. Connection Community Church.
connecting people with Jesus and the new life he offers.